0: Hi, and welcome to the Purdue Commercial AgCast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. On today's episode, I'm Brady Brewer, and joining me today is Dr. Jason Lusk, who's a distinguished professor of agricultural economics and department head of the Agricultural Economics Department here at Purdue University. And Jason is also the director of the Center for Food, Demand Analysis, and Sustainability, which we'll be talking about on today's episode. On today's episode specifically, we will be discussing uh, recent trends in food inflation um, and what's going on at the supermarket. So before we get into the discussion, I just want to remind all the listeners that you can find uh, more farm management news and information at the Center for Commercial Agriculture's website at purdue.edu backslash commercial ag. So Jason, first off, welcome to today's uh, podcast. You know, I want to start off. So, you know, I'm sure all of us are familiar with in which direction food prices are going, but how much have food costs risen here recently?
1: Yeah. Hi- higher. That's the, that's the <laughs> direction, Brady. So uh, thanks for having me on. And let me put on my department hat, head hat for a second and say thanks for doing the podcast. Um, I think it's great to have this forum that we can uh, c- communicate with folks. And um, and thanks for having me on. So yeah, I think we. it's no surprise to anybody out there that food prices have been going up. Um, really, the shocking thing is the magnitude. Yeah of the increases. Uh, if The most recent data we have is from December. The Bureau of Labor Statistics is the one that, that tracks our inflation numbers. So December is the most recent data we have. And at that time, uh, grocery prices, food at home were up 11.8% from the same time last year. So that that's the annual rate of inflation. So, you know, almost 12%. And to give you some perspective, the last time the annual rate was that high was back in the 1970s. So we're not in uncharted territory, but we're certainly in very unusual territory.
0: Yeah, that is a uh, greater than 40 years. That's older than most of our you know a lot of our listeners. So
1: indeed. Yeah, and and so you and I were chatting a little bit before we got on here trying to speculate what was happening in the 40s or in the 70s and I think that that was probably before both of our times. So yeah. so uh, we might need some folks to help refresh us of our memory. But you know, it was the Jimmy Carter years, oil embargo, those sorts of things I think helped uh, contribute to the the lot of the inflation that was experienced back then.
0: Yeah, so you know, there's been a, a lot happening, you know, 12%. That's that's a quite a big increase. If you think about a basket of goods, if you're trying to buy food for a family, 12%, um, that's, that's a pretty big increase in terms of what you're spending for you know, the, the food you're putting on the table. Um, now, can we put this in perspective, Jason? Uh, you know, how does this compare to maybe the broader economy? What, in, in terms of how fast, pr- we know everything's been increasing in price, but how does the food price increase compare to the broader economy?
1: Yeah, that, that's a good question because you're right. A lot, lot of discussion about the overall inflation rate. One thing I find frustrating as a food and ag economist is when the Federal Reserve you know, tends to talk about interest rates, they often talk about they take out food and in, in energy often because those tend to be more volatile. But I care about the food. And I think the interesting thing is most households care about the food. Yeah. Uh, and there's some reason to suspect that if you just think about household well-being, it is those more volatile components that really directly affect household well-being. So I kind of hate it when they take out the food part. But if you just look at that overall index, food, non-food, everything combined, as of last month, again, it was up on a year-over-year basis, about 6.4%. And so remember, the food grocery was up almost 12%. So what that tells us is that food prices have been increasing at a faster rate than overall prices in the economy. And that's really been true since the start of the recession. Um, over that whole period, food price increases have been outpacing overall price increases. And it's, so there's something unique, apparently, about whatever is going on in the food economy.
0: Yeah, and within the, you know, so food prices have gone up, you know, almost 12% relative to all items. Uh, and they also separate out, don't they separate out oil and gas as well? They do sometimes. Because it's yeah. almost as volatile, if not more, than, than food. Uh, So, you know, all items have been about 6%. Food has been 12. But within food, there are certain categories that have gone up well above the 12%. They
1: they have. Although, let me uh, just piggyback on something you said. They're volatile. Actually, the interesting thing, if you look back over the last two decades, is that food prices are actually pretty darn steady. Um, They tend to increase at at least grocery prices, like 1% to 2% per year. Uh, Restaurant prices, it's a little higher, about 3%, but it's very steady, has been very steady in years past, and I think that's one of the things that makes this period so unusual, is um, that we are seeing this volatility. We haven't seen that in the last couple of decades. Uh, you you asked me a question about which food items have experienced some of the largest increases, at least over the last couple of years. So, if kind of think about since January of 2020, this you know before the pandemic began. The cat at a broad category level, meat. Uh, eggs, poultry is a category that's increased higher than a lot of others. Uh, That's up probably almost uh, 27% since the start of the pandemic. So one way to think about it in terms of basket, if you were buying $100 of meat, uh, eggs, fish, poultry before the start of the pandemic, that same basket of of meat items, if you bought it today would be, you know, almost $130 today. So that's a pretty sizable increase in just a two and a half year period.
0: Yeah, that is, especially when you think about, uh, you know, meat tends to be a large portion of, of the plates that we eat at home. Uh, you know, not, not that we're all eating steak every night. Uh, I would like to. But, uh, you know, especially for, and especially from a cost perspective of what uh, you know, the share of wallet that meat takes up in terms of the plates that we, we tend to think of or, or fix, prepare at home. Uh, that's that, that's a pretty big increase. That's a 20, you know, a quarter increase in, in what it's costing us to put food on the table. Absolutely. Now, so, you know, we can divide it to food from home, thinking about meats, but we can also look at all these other broad categories of um, uh, types of food that we purchase at the grocery store as well. So which ones have, have uh, stuck out to you, Jason, in terms of uh, the highest increases of uh, at the grocery store?
1: So one thing that's important here, we'll, we'll probably come back to it, but that is Uh, you know, it's going to matter a lot which baseline period you pick. So, you know, are we comparing this month to the same month last year? Are we comparing this month to last month? Are we comparing this month to the January before the pandemic started? So it all all matters. But for right now, I'm going to talk about just year over year. So December of 2022 compared to December of 2021. And the big item that really uh, sticks out is eggs. And that won't probably be surprising to you or to anybody else that's been in the grocery store or paid attention to the news. But on an annual basis, retail egg prices are are up almost 60% uh, over the same time period last year, uh, probably over uh, almost 75% relative to the start of the pandemic. So huge increase in egg prices.
0: So uh, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole, but I've heard a lot about the egg prices. Luckily, I've not actually had to purchase eggs in the past week or so, but what's causing this due to... Do we have any inclination of what's causing this uh, increase in egg prices? Is, do we have a supply reduction due to disease? Is it just backstop of other supply chain issues? Is, is there increased demand? Do, do we have any information as to why we've seen this large increase in eggs?
1: Well, if you pay attention to some of the journalists, I got actually a call right before I came in here with you today, or or some of the politicians will say it's price gouging. um, Those producers trying to capture a lot of profit Uh, that that is always a possibility that does not, in my view, explain what we're seeing right now. Um, and I should say it's not one thing. So feed prices are higher. Uh, corn, soybean prices are major input to producing eggs. Those are higher than they were last year. So that's driving some of it and all the other kind of supply chain logistical problems. Um, so I don't want to say it's one thing, but uh, but the one thing is bird flu. <laughs> and um, and it, we've lost over 10 percent. It's between 10 and 15 percent of our total egg laying flock over the course of the last year or so and so you, you take that much egg production uh, away then there's fewer eggs for you and I as a consumer to choose between you and I and grocery stores have got to compete against each other for a smaller quantity of eggs and that drives up prices particularly for a good like eggs and, and the reason is that uh, eggs they're not a lot of good substitutes for eggs you want to bake a cake uh you know you really need eggs for that there's not something not, not a lot of good options for that substitution of course the same, the same is definitely true of an omelet <laughs> or uh, my eggs benedict that i like in the morning and and so um in economic jargon we would say egg demand is very inelastic it just means consumers purchases of eggs don't change very much when prices change so when we get this say 10, 15% reduction in the quantity supplied, the price has to increase a lot to convince consumers to cut back. Yeah. And so what, what we're seeing now is a combination of those two things, a significant supply re- reduction in you couple that with the fact that consumers purchases of eggs are, are pretty price insensitive and you get this big price spike. That that's really the story of what's happening in the egg market right now.
0: Yeah. Eggs, uh, eggs are a staple good. They're in a lot, as you said. And, you know, frankly, I, I am not being paid as an advocate for the egg uh, market in general, but they're tasty and people like them. So yep. got to really raise that price to keep people from Um, Or to convince people that there's a supply issue and reduce that consumption. The
1: the other way I think about this, just at a very broad perspective, is that that price is the mechanism that allocates supply. So uh, agriculture is a business where production decisions are made in advance. You know, we we have a number of egg-laying hens in the country now. Uh, We kind of know the amount of quantity that's going to get produced. And so sometimes people overinterpret per capita consumption going up or down as a reduction in demand. But often it's supply issues driving quantities. And so whatever gets whatever quantity gets supplied to the market, the price has to adjust so that we eat it all. And when you have fewer eggs on the market, that price has to adjust, adjust upward to, to, you know, re- allocate the, the share of people who, who want eggs. Um, otherwise, there's going to be too many people wanting eggs uh, relative to our ability to supply them. So so I think price in some ways is kind of a magical mechanism that, that coordinates our behaviors, that gets exactly the amount of people wanting to buy as the amount of quantity that we've produced.
0: So eggs have been... A pretty big increase. Has there been any any other baskets of goods that stand out to you in terms of of price changes here from last year to this year?
1: Yeah. One surprise, I mentioned earlier that that over the course of the last couple of years, um, that broad category of meat has been one that's increased a lot. So, having said that, one surprise for folks may that they may be surprised to hear is that beef prices are actually lower today than they were a year ago, about 3% lower than they were uh, a year ago. Now, some of that's because beef prices were really high a year ago, but still, I think it does go to show prices don't always just go up. They do come back down. And indeed, compared to last year, at least beef prices are about 3% lower than they were this time. That's, you know, back to to my discussion about supply issues, a, a big explanation for that is um, ranchers, cattle producers have been liquidating their herds because uh, they're worried about being able to feed over the winter, particularly a lot of areas of the west where they've had drought, uh, have gotten rid of their breeding stock because they don't have enough hay, corn and soybean prices are high again, and so a lot of uh, those animals are being brought to market now. And that's sort of resulted in a larger quantity supply than we might have otherwise expected, and so that's that's helping pull down prices. I don't, I'm not really often in the business of predicting price changes, uh, so this is about as close as I'll get. In about a year or two years time period, we're going to have higher beef prices, yeah. and the reason is because what I just said. Uh, if you know, we're getting rid of our breeding stock today, and so few, you know, less beef is going to be produced in the next year or two to come. And my guess is that if nothing else changes that's going to result in some higher beef prices in in a, in a year or two from today when those animals would have been born that won't be born.
0: Yeah, the you know, breeding cycles of uh, beef cattle, right? Year, two years, if you think about how long it takes to get them on feed and then get them to slaughter. Uh, that's as you were saying, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, well, this means I need to go stock up on beef because it's the, <laughs> the price is only going to go up from here if we're selling of all, all of our breeding stock and there's a liquidation of, of, in certain areas, probably not everywhere, but you mentioned the drought, certain areas there may be a liquidation of, of inventories. So definitely be on the lookout for that in, in the future. So you mentioned time periods. Uh, So we were just discussing uh, a, a year time period, so December of 2021 to December of 2022. Uh, But we can also break this down in shorter time periods, because I know there's been a lot of change since just thinking about this winter. Uh, So what about, you know, have there been any baskets of goods that you've been monitoring from just say, November of this year to December?
1: Yeah, that monthly change, I think is useful to pay attention to because it shows the trajectory we're on. So that even though say beef prices are lower than they were this time last year, they actually increase from November to December. And part of that's probably explained by holiday buying and, you know, prime ribs and, all those sorts of things. So, so beef prices are on the rise, even though they're still lower than they were last year. Eggs, of course, you know, still the story there from November to December, they increased about 11% just in that one month time period but to this broader story i think and i haven't mentioned this before we've been talking about prices increasing a lot but the rate of increase has started to fall uh we're still at a broad level running at rates that are higher than last year but we're starting to see that that slow down a little bit we're seeing that in the overall inflation number two and some of that's probably attributable to macroeconomic federal reserve policies increasing interest rates and that kind of stuff but when we get at say individual food categories for example cereals and bakery Items, pork, poultry, fruits and vegetables. Those are all lower in December than they were in um, uh, in November. So you know those are starting to kind of come back down a little bit. You know, we'll, remains to be seen whether that that trend will continue. But at least that that trajectory is one that's more positive for food consumers. One thing I will uh, point out is uh, f- fruits and vegetables, for example. You can pick some time periods. If you think about the, the, when all the stories were in the news about shipping containers that couldn't get their way into the ports and, and there are all these ships being backed up and all that, uh, probably I can't remember how long ago that was, a year or so ago, uh, it, when you looked at the price of particularly fresh uh, fruits, it showed up there. We got a big increase in fresh fruits and that makes sense. We import a lot of fresh fruits and fresh vegetables from South America and other places. And that showed up in that time period when a lot of that, that those backups and supply chain logistical issues were going on.
0: And also, you know, I presume that the export stuff we export was like beef poultry, which we export to a lot of the Asian countries and South America and Europe Uh, you know, the downward pressure on that price. Maybe we didn't see it, but there was downward pressure because we weren't shipping out um, as much.
1: Yeah, that's true. Although, interestingly, say, take 2022 was a really a record of a record, but it was a big year for export, say for beef, which is a bit surprising because, uh, you know, the dollar has appreciated, meaning it's more expensive for foreigners to buy U.S. products. But despite that, Uh, A lot in a big, big year of exports for beef, uh, mainly out of China, uh, but also Korea. And uh, Japan are also big buyers of beef. But that, that's, uh, you know, the export story was sort of surprisingly a good one in a lot of ways. And that's, that's actually has contributed to some of the big uh, price increases is the, uh, at a broad level, it's been good export throughout a lot of agriculture. And so, you know, foreign countries wanting to buy U.S. products, that tends to pull up U.S. US prices as well. And I think that's part of the overall picture here.
0: Yeah, and you know, I will say, uh, I know I'm supposed to be interviewing you today, but just as someone who follows the interest rates and kind of the broader macro and, and financial markets, the U.S. dollar is expected to strengthen against a lot of other foreign currencies, so that should bode well for us and our purchasing power for a lot of you, you know you mentioned the fresh fruits and vegetables that we import uh it should make some of the the food items that we import cheaper since our the perch- our purchasing power will go further
1: yeah absolutely it's good if you're a net importer bad if you're a net exporter yeah. so so yeah if you're uh, say uh you know somebody who who tends to export a lot of your product it, it makes it more expensive for foreigners to buy our product so it kind of depends which side of that that picture you're
0: on. Um, so, you know, moving on, what about, uh, you know, the next question I want to go to is affordability. So we've talked a lot about food price increases, uh, but there's a lot going on in the, in the macroeconomy. Our, our wages have increased. There's other items we got to, other costs we got to consider. Uh, so one thing that you track is actually thinking about, uh, you know, an an hour of labor that we all put in at our jobs and how much it can purchase. What is What has happened to this food affordability?
1: Yeah, I think you're you're right, Brady. That's what we really care about. It's it's not prices per se. What we really want to know is how much can I afford? <laughs> how much is it going to take me to put that basket on my table? And wages have increased, although it depends on the period of time we're talking about. They haven't quite kept up with the rate of inflation overall. But we try to think about a way to conceptualize this. So um, actually, a lot of the data we're talking about right now, we have some data dashboards available on, um, on our website, the Center for Food Demand Analysis and Sustainability. So uh, listeners can go play around with our dashboards and and pull up different price uh, points if they want to. But one of those dashboards, what we do is we compare the average wage rate in the economy to the prices of selected foods. So just just to give an example uh, for, uh, say, ground beef, what we do is we just ask uh, how much uh, would an hour's worth of work, how much ground beef would that buy you? And today, that answer is about 6.3 pounds. Uh, you, the average worker earns enough money to buy about 6.3 pounds given the price of ground beef today. So how does that compare to in the past? Well, um, if we go back when, when meat prices were, were really high to, say, 2015 time period, that was the era when, when we had a big run-up in meat prices. Uh, back then, you only could buy it was about a pound less. Uh, only about 5.2, 5.3 pounds uh, with an hour's worth of work. So in that sense, uh, ground beef is more affordable today than it was in 2015, uh, but less affordable than it was, say, uh, back in 2010, you know, a decade or so ago. It was about 7.3 pounds today. Uh, back then. So t- today, relative to 2010, um, we can only, we, we can't, with an hour's worth of work, We can only afford uh, a pound less of ground beef than we did back then. So I think these are, you know, I think conceptually, this is a really useful way for me to think about whether and not just whether prices have increased, but whether affordability has changed over time.
0: Yeah. And I mean, uh, I. I tend to think of portion sizes, right? So a pound, pound to me sounds like a, a pretty big uh, deal because if you think about a third-pound hamburger, that's that's yeah. three less hamburgers that you can uh, get with an hour of labor. And you also track steaks as well, and steaks are down about a pound relative to 2010, um, and and you know that's less people that you can afford or buy for with an hour of work. Now, one thing. It did surprise me the 2015 number because we weren't, it, you know, in my mind we weren't exactly talking about a lot of food inflation or price inflation around the 2015 time period. Yeah. So it, it's it's actually a little surprising to me that my dollar or my labor goes a little bit further now than just about six seven years ago.
1: Yeah. If you were a livestock producer, particularly cattle producer, you would have remembered that time period. So, um, so again, long production lags, and particularly beef pr- beef production, but particularly probably for folks listening on this call that, you know, our corn soybean producers think about the last run up in prices we had then, you know, it was 2008, 11, 12. So those are inputs to producing livestock. And so those high commodity corn soybean prices that were happening in, you know, say 11 and 12 trickled into livestock producers having to cut back on inventories. Uh, also during that period, about that same time period, 11, 12, uh, there were also droughts. Out in the West, so a lot of lives, particularly particularly cattle producers, were liquidating inventory back then, like they are today, and so that there was a big run up in meat prices, particularly in the 2014 and 15, um, that were re- mainly driven by those supply side issues, higher cost of feed, uh, drought that that caused some producers to liquidate inventory, and it's kind of interesting. We're entering into another cycle
0: of that uh, today, and now we have all this other inflationary stuff on the top of it. So that is. Uh, All the questions I have for you, Jason, in terms of the food inflation, uh, I want to turn now and give our listeners a little bit of a preview because you mentioned the center that uh, you're a director of the Center for Food Demand Analysis and Sustainability. Um, You guys have been busy creating some dashboards. Now, these are dashboards that any person, they're free, that you can go on to the website, and I'll give you the the URL for the website here at the end of this podcast. You can go on, and you can actually play around with the data and and see what's happening in certain areas of the economy. So uh, do you want to give the listeners maybe a little bit of of an overview of the dashboards that are available and what data uh, your center curates for the broader public?
1: This has been a really fun project, and I have to say thanks to the uh, university they, they invested in the center and so we're trying to make sure they get a return on their investment but I think trying to make data come alive and useful for people is really our uh, goal here so we've been talking about food prices there's a segment of dashboards that focus on food prices we have other dashboards on food prices too we've been uh, web scraping prices that are very much closer to real time and so you know as we've been talking about these inflation numbers we're looking back to December data but our web scrape Scraping is giving us data yesterday, and we have a a dashboard that's showing the price of a cheeseburger, and that again we can look at that as of yesterday. And you can also look at different characteristics: is it an organic cheeseburger? Is it a plant-based cheeseburger? We have that data that we've got a dashboard on, and some others. The other big categories of dashboards we have one is related to, to supply side issues, production issues. Some of this came about in the in really the heat of COVID where people were worried about whether there would be disruptions to the food supply because workers were becoming ill with COVID. The meat packing sector was a classic example of this. So what we did is we married data on a number of COVID cases and the location of those COVID cases with data on where we know the workers are both at the farm level, we have one dashboard at the farm, and another dashboard that's focused at the food processing level. We can combine those two data sets and make an inference, make an estimate of, say, how many workers in, say, meat packing in in this county of the United States have COVID right now. and then what share of total production is that? So you get, get kind of a sense of how much production could be at risk. Those dashboards are still up and running. They're alive, although probably you know, less relevant today as fewer people are, are reporting when they have COVID and those things. But, but that's some of the stuff we have there. And so much just trying to understand, like, where's food produced in this country? Uh, we got some good data sets, on particularly food processing, where that happens and, and sort of how distributed that is across the country. Another set of dashboards focuses on consumer preferences what is it that consumers want Uh, what are they thinking we have dashboards that are that give some really interesting information on social media conversations this is really in in collaboration with uh, our colleague nicole widmar Uh, we are tracking conversations online Uh, the the first dashboard we have there is hashtag meat so it's mainly conversations about meat how often are people say talking about pork? Uh, when they are talking about it, is it positive or negative? So there's an index there, and you can ask questions like, Are conversations in Indiana say more positive or negative than the rest of the country? That's a fun dashboard. I hope. You know, people will take a look at that. The other one uh, on the consumer preferences side is a companion project we're doing is we've been doing a monthly survey of over a thousand U.S. food consumers. So think about this as the uh, retail side of the farm economy barometer. Um, Farm economy barometer surveys farmers. We're also surveying consumers now. We're measuring sentiment about the food economy, but also measuring things like spending and buying behavior, behaviors and what they want out of the food system. We have some dashboards there. And then the last set of dashboards really is related to spending. And I already mentioned that we're measuring that with our monthly survey. But we're also collecting data there that I think is is also really interesting. Maybe it's a little, again, I've already mentioned we're monitoring your online conversations on Twitter and Facebook and all the rest, blogs. But the other thing we're monitoring is debit card and credit Credit card transactions. We're, we've partnered with a company that we can get our hands on those. We don't know your, you know, we don't have access to your individual debit card number, but what we, we can see is pick a county like Tippecanoe in, uh, County, Indiana. We can see, uh, you know, how much was spent at McDonald's in Tippecanoe County last week. So it's a vendor level spending. over time, across the country, and that's been really interesting and fascinating to look at. And we will do some other calculations like on a per capita basis. So so let's say spending at McDonald's per person. uh, Any guesses about where that might be the highest in the U.S.?
0: I'm kind of scared to uh, say a number here because then people will realize that I probably overpurchase when I go to McDonald's. (laughs) But uh, I mean, I, I, I would assume I mean, a Big Mac meal is up to, what, $8, $9? So it's gotta be a little bit north of there, maybe? Yeah,
1: could be. Actually, the way we calculate it (laughs) is, because what would happen if we didn't adjust for population size is you'd always just see California and Texas and New York. So we do it at like spending per population, per capita, essentially. And I don't remember the exact number there, but I, I will tell you the highest per capita spending at McDonald's is in Kansas. Really? Which is kind of surprising. Illinois is also pretty high, um, and why? I don't know. I'm just telling you what the data says. It's not something I would have predicted beforehand either. And so uh, there, we got to, you know, we we do that for all all the major change you can find on our dashboard and kind of play play around with it. And you can even see the regional chains. Like I'm a Texas native, uh, Whataburger obviously big Texas uh, spending. In and Out Burger, you can see all the spendings out in California, West Coast. I've been. I, I need to f- figure out which one is the big Indiana spend. I haven't found that one quite <laughs> yet, but it may, maybe it's, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, White Castle or Culver's or something like that. But that, actually, those are on our website. You can go and look at them right now. Let's look at a map of where that spending is highest.
0: Well, thank you, Jason, for detailing all the the amazing dashboards that you guys and data that you guys are curating so you know if there's if you're wondering what's happening in the food supply chain uh, i would definitely encourage all the listeners to go check out the center for food demand analysis and sustainability and and the data that is publicly available uh, so that is uh, it for today's episode. I just want to remind all the listeners for more economic information, please visit us at the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture's website at purdue.edu backslash commercial ag. Uh, you can also find all the information that we were discussing on today's episode uh, at the Center for Food Demand Analysis and Sustainability's website, which is ag.purdue CFDAS. On behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture, I am Brady Brewer, and we thank you for listening to today's episode.